Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. The Danny Mac Show with BK Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now, here's Danny Mac with BK. Oh, my. Launches another one into deep right. Adios. Long home run. Dylan Carlson. He's getting hot at the right time. The stretch run of spring training. one nothing Cardinals. Fly ball, left field, and it drops. A base hit for Dylan Carlson. A run will score. He's driven in two, and it's 2 nothing Cardinals. Welcome into the Danny Mac Show on a Tuesday. I'm Dan McLaughlin. That's BK. Brandon Kiley. Tanner is with us. Big day for Dylan Carlson yesterday. The Cardinals will take on the Nationals, and you can see that game at noon on Fox Sports Midwest. Uh, Dylan Carlson, last six games, six for 16, couple of home runs. He's driven in five, scored five runs, love the three walks. He's only struck out three times, so he is indeed getting hot at the right time. Coming up, we're going to visit with Gabe DeArmond, talk a lot about Mizzou basketball and the NCAA tournament in general. But BK, good morning to you. Good morning, Dan. It's good to see Dylan Carlson finally turning it on offensively over the last week or so. He's looked excellent. His swing looks like it's been fine-tuned a little bit. And this is why when uh, Tanner comes in every day after our show, Dan, works hard, take take behind the scenes a little bit. And he always asks me, you know, there's something that's happening right now in spring training. What is your reaction? And and my reaction is always, do they have a track record? Does the player that you're asking me about have a track record? And if the answer is yes, I'm not, I don't care. If the answer is no, okay, now it'll pique my attention a little bit, right? Dylan Carlson is one of those players that doesn't have a long track record, so it is nice to see him starting to hit his stride right before the season. If I said a guy had a long track record but is one for 29 with a lot of strikeouts, does that grab your attention? What is the recent track record extended track okay, record I just want to make for sure. that player? If it is a lot of uh, failures of late, okay. I don't know who you're referencing in particular here. I'd be referencing Matt Carpenter. Okay, yeah, so his recent track record is not great, and so I needed him to prove me wrong. I needed him to come into spring and be like, hey, yeah, actually, my timing is back. And uh, so I think it's one for 29 with 13 strikeouts in the spring. That's that's not going to do it for me. No, the lineup today, Tommy Edmond at second base. The aforementioned Carpenter was going to try to battle with Tommy Edmond to get more playing time at second base. That's not going to be the case. Tommy Edmond has had a very, very good camp, and he'll be your everyday second baseman, and it looks like everyday leadoff man. So he's at the top of the lineup today. It's interesting what Mike Schild is doing down the stretch here, and I I think this is a precursor of of things to come with the lineup. So Goldie will bat uh, second, Arenado will bat third, Paul DeYoung will bat cleanup, Tyler O'Neill in left field, Yadier Molina is behind the plate in center field today. Dylan Carlson, he is in center field. Lane Thomas is in right field. Adam Wainwright is on the mound for the Cardinals. He'll bat ninth. John Lester is on the mound for the Nationals. Dylan Carlson talked about the reason for his recent offensive success. Just playing, uh, you know, getting out there every day. It's been a, it's been a real pleasure to be out there each and every day. And uh, for me, you know, just continuing to get at bats each and every day. You know, I've got a lot of right-handed at bats early on, so. Uh, you know, to get some lefty at-bats now, I've really uh, started to get my timing and, you know, really, really been uh, focusing on getting things going. So he'll be back on the right side, at least uh, at the beginning of the game against John Lester. I, I really had 
Dylan Carlson coming into the season, I, I thought it would be, and maybe it can change as we get going with the year, but I do think this lineup that you see today with Goldie and Arenado 2-3, any combination of that is the way that Mike Schilt is going to go. But I thought Dylan Carlson, it might be beneficial to put him in the number two spot. Now, you would have had back-to-back switch hitters by dropping him down in the lineup and with no DH. You know, you're going to see some double switches back in the National League. It gives you flexibility by being a switch hitter. Also lengthens the lineup. Maybe take Takes a little pressure off him not being in the top spot or in the middle of the lineup. So Dylan Carlson starting to heat up at the right time. Yeah, he is. And I would like to see him closer to the top of the lineup. I think eventually maybe we get there. But we've seen this in the past, especially from Mike Schild. He prefers for the young guys in particular to be a little lower. Like you said, take a little bit of pressure off of them. We know last year it started this way. And then by the playoffs, he was your cleanup hitter going into that series against the Padres. So I... I prefer him batting second than in the cleanup spot personally. I, oh, I definitely like him second more than cleanup for yeah. sure. Yes. So for the for the here and now, this is fine. I'm not too worried about it. Opening day lineups are what they are. But moving forward, I think the way that he projects is probably in that second spot. Interesting what Mike Schilt addressed yesterday and what he is doing today. I, I really feel that this is a big week for certain players. And one of those would be... Lane Thomas. Now, Lane Thomas has cooled off. He's like one for his last 13 or 14, got off to a really good start, but O'Neal was hitting well, and they're going to give O'Neal the inside track with that. But Lane Thomas is in right field today. Dylan Carlson is in center. Bader has not had a great camp. He's only had three hits. And Mike Schild talked about some of the players he's considering for the outfield. You know, I think, like you say, you got a better chance of seeing um, Dylan in center. You know, I don't think there's a a need for Tyler to go to right. I could I could be missing something. Um, I think it's probably more important that some guys continue to get work in right and left, meaning like Williams. Thomas has played mostly center, so he probably needs to get a little corner outfield work. And then, um, you know, don't be surprised. Don't overread anything into it. But, um, you know, Tommy Evans probably going to float out there at some point and get some work in the outfield as well just because, you know, we don't want to expose him and have a situation where we need him late in the game, double switch. And if we carry 12 position players, it may be a need for it as well. So, um, you know, don't be surprised to see Tommy out there at some point, you know, in the next three or four days. So that's part about the the roster construction. It gives you flexibility. Tommy Edmond looks fine when he's played right. He's played a little bit of left. And also, by the way, and I'm sure Mike doesn't want to say this, if Lane Thomas, Harrison Bader, Justin Williams don't cut it, Tommy Edmond can move to the outfield. And if you have somebody else step up, and can play second base, i.e. Matt Carpenter, Edmundo Sosa, Rondon, who has had a very good camp. Now you give yourself a little different look offensively. Can I ask you a question, though? You can always ask me a question. You always say, can I ask you a question? BK, you can always ask me a question. That's what we do, baby. So... I, it is what it is. Whatever you want to throw Tommy Edmond out there, he'll probably see some time this year in the outfield. So it's good You're that he's see getting it at some, some point. I guarantee it. I, I I have no issue with him playing out there. He's perfectly capable of playing in the outfield. But I was told about this glut that they have in the outfield, and so they need to get all of those other guys there at bats. And I get that too. Why can my guy John Nagowski not get a single at bat in the outfield, but we can have find some opportunities for Austin Dean and Tommy Edmond, anybody else that wants to play in the outfield, let's get them some opportunities. But John Nagowski, who has said all offseason, hey, I've spent quite a bit of time shagging fly balls out in the outfield. Drop some weight. An opportunity. He's done nothing but hit all offseason, all spring. 
and that guy can't get out there, but now your starting second baseman, who should be there every day, and unless Matt Carpenter something changes, will be there pretty much every day, he is now getting opportunities in the outfield. I think it's a legit question. You know, he's had a great camp. John is 9 for 23, a home run, 10 runs batted in. What I love is the 533 on base percentage. The role that he would play with this team, and I don't see him... Well, I never say never. Uh, you know, it's a long season. Things change. Guys go up and down. Guys get hurt. I, I just I look at his role, BK, and it's going to be tough for him to make this team because of the numbers game. And I know some fans don't want to hear that. I don't necessarily want to hear but that. You're right because he's had right. he's had a hell of a camp. Is his role will be late innings and being a guy that that gives you that great at bat off the bench because he doesn't strike out very often. He walks, he works a count, and he puts a ball in play. And if you were watching the game yesterday in the fifth inning, why did the Marlins win? They put the ball in play. They made Jack Flaherty field a baseball. He threw it in right field. Magnera Sierra winds up at third. I mean, you, you put the ball in play. There's still, I don't care what the analytics say about ball in play, put it in play. Okay. The Royals literally won a World Series because that's what they did as Put a team. Put it in play. Yeah. yeah, and look how they scored that run against the Mets. Absolutely. Um, so there's a premium on that. And I, I think we're going to see John Nagowski at some point this year. And maybe, hey, it could be on opening day. I think, though, because of the numbers game, and we still don't know about Justin Williams, whether or not he has a fourth option, it, it just complicates it. And so you're able to keep him without exposing other players. And that's just the the nasty side of baseball sometimes. It's the business side. And if I'm a casual fan today and I'm listening to our show, Dan, and I'm saying to myself, okay, so hold on. You're telling me that the Cardinals might go into opening day without John Nagowski, but instead with Edmundo Sosa and Matt Carpenter and Justin Williams. And oh, by the way, Jose Rondon, who's been great so far down in camp, he might not make the roster either. So the two guys that are hitting, they're not going to make the team, but the two guys that aren't hitting, they are going to make the team. Like I, I get if you're listening to this today and you're like, this doesn't make any sense. I know, I know you're right. However, there's a business side of things, and that's what the Cardinals are taking into account here. It's not just the on-field product in spring that they have to take into account. It's more than that, unfortunately. I wish it was. What do you want to hear from Gabe DeArmond of PowerMizzou.com? I want to know how he would assess this season as a whole. If he were a Mizzou fan of this basketball team, what would he tell them about what this season was and what it wasn't? I really want to get into whether or not Conzo Martin stays or goes. You know, his track record has been after this tenure at other schools, whether it be Cal, Missouri State, Tennessee, he's jumped. Now there's reasons as to why he's done that, but does this pattern continue? And does Mizzou want to retain him? So those are some of the things we're going to get into. And Gabe DeArmond of PowerMizzou.com is going to be our guest. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. Danny Mac Show, Dan McLaughlin with BK, Brandon Kylie. Let's head out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line on this Tuesday and say good morning to Gabe DeArmond, who runs PowerMizzou.com. And if you haven't seen the content that is on PowerMizzou.com, make sure and uh, do yourself a favor and subscribe and uh, make sure and get a subscription to this and get the password, pay the money because it is worth it. And uh, it's just great. I mean, if you love Mizzou, this is the place to go. Gabe, good morning. How are you? 
Doing well, guys. Appreciate you having me. You bet. Uh, let's start with basketball because then I want to jump into some things that I know you love, which is spring football, that yep. game, really diving into that, also uh, pro days for <laughs> the guys with football. But basketball, how do you sum up what happened this year? If you had to put a final piece together and say, okay, this is what happened with the Tigers of 2020-21, what would you say? A uh, 30,000 foot view, like casual fan, turns the games on, you know, usually. Uh, may go to a game when they can once or twice a year. Uh, solid season, step forward, progress in the program. Um, I, I think that's all kind of undeniable. When you get a little, those who follow it a little closer, uh, it's a little bit hollow. I mean, this team was ranked 10th in the country, and while they weren't that good, and I think most of us knew it at the time, Sixteen and ten, and losing as a nine seed in the first round, and now you're going on twelve years without a tournament win. Seventh in the SEC, you know. At the beginning of the year, maybe you would have taken those things, but then two months in, when you were sitting thirteen and three, and it looked like there was so much more, uh, you know, you you're not satisfied with that. So I would say uh, overall, like a step forward, but. Maybe like a, a B season. So, Gabe, I think one of the things that people that are on in that latter category, right, the, the diehards that are looking at this, and there are calls, as you have seen, I would imagine, to fire Conzo Martin. For yeah. those people that are in that camp, Gabe, can you explain to them why that will not be happening this offseason or any offseason in the yeah. near future? It, well, I, I can explain it. I can also tell you, learn how to use your Google machine and just type, <laughs> Conzo Martin contract to Missouri, and it will, it's the very first link that pops up. I did it yesterday. Um, but I actually think most people who don't like, who, who don't want Conzo to be the head coach, don't want it to happen this year. They understand. Like, you're Missouri, you don't get to fire a guy that just made the NCAA tournament. That's stupidity. Um, I, I think most of the people that, that are in the corner against him are that way because they believe the next couple years are going to be bad and he's clearly not the guy, so go ahead and get this done as soon as you can. But the reason it's not going to happen is because he took over, like, this isn't an exaggeration. He took over one of the two worst Power Five uh, programs in the country. The other one's Oregon State, which, by the way, is playing in the Sweet 16 this year, uh, but had a worse regular season than Missouri did. Um, Oregon State was 5-27 and the year. Conzo took over Missouri the year before he took over. I forget if that was the eight win, the nine win, or the ten win season. But uh, regardless, it was terrible. Um, you know, and so to get him, they gave him this contract that not only fully guaranteed seven years at $21 million, but said if you make a tournament in the first three years, the date we can fire you gets pushed back from April 30th to 2020. So in no world could he be fired in the first three years. If he made one tournament in the first three years, that date got pushed back to 2021. If he made another tournament after that, that date gets pushed back to April 30th, 2022, which means without fighting a legal battle with Conzo Martin, Missouri cannot fire him before April 30th of next year for without cause. And for those who don't understand, cause is not, because you lost too many games. You know, there has to be something more than that. So uh, he's the coach minimum next year, and the truth of the matter is 
he's the coach the year after that because you don't fire a coach on April 30th and go try to find somebody else in May. If you do, you're setting your program back another couple of years. It would also still cost $6 million at that point. So unless he walks away, he's the coach the next two years. You hit it on the head. Unless he walks away and his trend has been – you know, three, four, five years, and then move on and turn a program around and move on. And there's going to be some openings. Are you hearing his name with any of the openings? Because he is an attractive candidate because he does it the right way. He's going to win some games. He's probably going to get you in the tournament. So uh, is there a a situation that you think fits for Conzo outside of Mizzou? Not that I can think of. I mean, Indiana's not hiring him. He went to Purdue, and Indiana's going to hire a guy – who is, is a hotter commodity than Cosbo. Um, You know, I saw some people, for some reason, connected him to UNLV, which didn't make sense. Like, UNLV, Marquette, if he walks away for a job like that, which is the Frank Case uh, move, right, then he has fully earned this job hopper reputation and, and the reputation of a guy who can't stay anywhere. And, you know, his first three moves, I can explain them all. I mean, everybody leaves Missouri State for Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee to Cal made lessons until you understood that there were Tennessee fans circulating a petition to have him removed, and it wasn't just about basketball games uh, there. So Tennessee to Cal makes sense. Uh, he wanted out of Cal. I, you know, there's plenty of reasons why. I think mostly because Cal is – it's one of those places that it is harder to win because the kids have to have grades and test scores that, that they maybe don't a lot of other places. Uh, he didn't leave Cal's program in great shape. That's the one that you could kind of look at and say, eh, we're getting a little bit toward you know territory that, that why are you leaving here? But, I mean, if he leaves Missouri for a job like Marquette, then I, you know that's all on uh, he's earned everything anybody would say about him, and, and I don't think he will. I, I don't see that happening. I just don't see a job that, that makes any sense for him. I, I firmly believe one way or another, whoever ends it and whenever it ends, I think this is going to be Conzo Martin's last head coaching job in college. Gabe DeArmond of PowerMizzou.com joining us here on 101 ESPN. Gabe, so let, let's push forward a little bit. Conzo Martin's going to be the coach. Now, what's the roster going to look like? Because as I yeah. look down, it's like, okay, so Drew Smith, Drew Bugs, Mark Smith, Xavier Pinson, Mitchell Smith, and Jeremiah Tillman all likely not going to be back next season. So who is going to be on this team next year? Well, we have no idea um, at this <laughs> point. But, I mean, the five seniors you mentioned, people have asked all year, could they come back? And technically, yes, they can. But, you know, we have no indication any will. And I heard an interesting uh, point on Gary Parrish's podcast. He said, I haven't heard one senior in the country say they're coming back for this extra year. These guys are done. They're going to they're gonna move on. So they're all gone. Um, we've been telling people all year this was Xavier Pinson's last year in college in all likelihood. And if you didn't believe it before Saturday night, you better believe it after Saturday night. I mean, the kid played four minutes in the second half. Something's not working there. And people say, but, well, he's not an NBA player. And, no, he's, he's not. But guess what? There are other places to play basketball. Um, you know, Parker Brown, I don't know. Does he come back? Maybe, maybe not. He doesn't play a whole lot. Uh, the, the only guys I'm sure that are pretty confident that are on this roster that are going to be back next year are Kobe Brown, Javon Pickett, Torrance Watson. I would expect all those guys back. Uh, Ed Chang and Jordan Wilmore, I don't know, man. They combined for 26 minutes. I, I'm not sure there's that it furthers things to, to 
bring those guys back necessarily. So you could be looking at as many as, you know, nine, ten open roster spots. They've got a five-man recruiting class. He has to get two plug-and-play impact transfers for next year to be even at a level where, hey, it's a step back, but it's, it's not a giant fall. Um, and then I think he has to get another one to two transfers who maybe they aren't impact guys next year, but they are guys, you know, they're Drew Smith-type guys that, that you could see, hey, after a year of either sitting or just kind of being a role guy, then they can be guys. So I think you're looking at three or four transfers this spring and basically a brand-new team. And I know people don't like that. A, it's college basketball this year. But also with the five-man freshman class, like that's your foundation going forward. Now, it's not a class that I think you can count on, hey, they're going to be good enough to, to get this team to the NCAA tournament in year one. But I do think it's a class that you can look at and say, hey, you put some pieces around them in years two, three, and four, this might start to look like much more of a sustainable program than it looks where we're sitting right now today. Gabe, DeArmond is with us from PowerMizzou.com. I do want to ask you before we let you go just a couple of quick questions about football. What What is it like, number one, covering Eli Drinkowitz, and now he's got a full spring uh, camp under his belt. Didn't have that last year. He's got a recruiting class in. So the expectations going into next year. So number one, covering him, and then your expectations with these things now falling into place as we open things back up. What do you think for Mizzou football? Yeah, covering him is kind of a twofold thing. I mean, this is the first time in 18 years of doing this I've covered a, a football coach that you don't know what he's going to say before you ask the question. I mean, I could write Tinkles and Odom's press conferences, and they were never going to say anything out of the ordinary or, or really fire off. I mean, I remember multiple times Gary Tinkle would say something, and he'd kind of chuckle, and he'd say, you know, that was a joke. Um, he, he would kind of have to explain that, that he was showing some personality, and Drinkwitz is certainly not that. I mean, every press conference is, is going to get you at least one or two, like, hey, that's pretty good. Fans are going to like that. But the other thing is, is what you guys, I'm sure, are experiencing too, and, and Dan, you'll be experiencing, I assume, once baseball really gets going, is that I don't really feel like I'm covering the guy. I've met him in person like three no doubt. times. No I doubt. stare at him on a computer screen. I mean, I don't know that I've had a one-on-one. I've had one one-on-one conversation with Eli Drinkwitz. He was on our, our show that we do on YouTube. So if that counts, that was it. You know, but it's just, it's different. I, I mean, like he would probably know who I was if I was walking down the street, but we don't know each other at all. Um, as far as expectations, you know, fans are, are certainly uh, really fired up, and, and I think for good reason. I look at this team, you know, year one was better than expected, but uh, he's on the radar now. Other teams know what to expect. I, I think year two is like, I don't know, seven wins I think would be would be solid. Eight wins would be really good. So I'm looking at like a seven and five-ish type season. Um, and then really year three is when I think it's fair to start judging a, a football coach and saying, okay, is, is this looking like it's going to go the right direction? Gabe, last thing that I've got for you. I know you're a big college basketball fan as a whole, and this tournament has been topsy-turvy in every possible way. I saw last night the 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 sum of the seeds that are remaining, so basically in terms of like which teams are still there, it's the highest that we've ever had for a Sweet 16. What has been your overall top takeaway from this NCAA tournament that we've seen thus far? Well, my takeaway from what you just said is thank you, FBI. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right? I no mean, kidding. Like, Seriously, all these people, 
how hard on these things. College basketball media doesn't want to mention how Will Wade got his team, and by the way, invested his money poorly because you have one sweet 16. College basketball media wants to say, this Kansas team doesn't look like a Kansas team. Well, I wonder if, I wonder if there's a reason for that, right? Um, I mean, three players aren't, aren't as good as the ones that, that seem not to be free. Um, so that's one takeaway. Uh, but here's my other thing on college basketball. And I watched more college basketball before 4 o'clock on Friday afternoon than I've watched all season long. I love the tournament. It is the greatest sporting event in the world, and it always will be because it's the most random, and it's not really about identifying the best team. Um, but college basketball is now a niche sport. It is a four-weeks-a-year sport. The, the, unless you are just a diehard, like I did not watch one complete game this year that Missouri didn't play in, uh, because it doesn't matter. Um, it's all about, I don't know, just be one of the top 68. And then at that point, hey, man, this is a ball for three, three and a half weeks. But college basketball has turned itself into something that I think fewer and fewer people are paying attention to until, you know, at the earliest Valentine's Day and realistically more like March 1st. Yeah, there's a lot of truth to that. Hey, Gabe, thanks for doing this. We appreciate it. Love your work. It's at powermizzou.com. Make sure and get a subscription if you're a Missouri sports fan. There is all kinds of content on that site. That's Gabe DeArmond from powermizzou.com. Thanks, Gabe, for doing this. Appreciate it, guys. Anytime. You got it. Uh, he makes a, a lot of interesting points there. Um, number one, I'm not sure if it wasn't a slew game or a Mizzou game if I watched a full basketball game this year. Normally I would. You know, normally those early NIT games or when they're out in Hawaii, um, over the holidays, I'll watch some games, especially Duke or some of the bigger teams are playing. I'll watch a full game. I don't think I watched a full game this year. I think it was twofold for me this year. One was that the lack of fans, I thought, hit college basketball more so than any other sport that I've been watching because the environment is so much a part of what you're watching with college basketball. Like when you're watching a Duke game, wasn't it weird it's seeing the, the cutouts that were it, they did a good job with like the crazy the Cameron crazies yeah. cut out and stuff. I thought that was good, but it's, it's not, not real same. people. Yeah, yeah it's, exactly. it's just not the same and, and part of what you're watching there is for the pageantry. We talk about it all the time yeah. with college football, but it is also that way with college basketball and so I was missing that and it didn't feel right watching those games. I still watched a decent amount, but not, not the way that I normally would. The other thing is Man, the game has just, it has devolved so much into who can make their free throws. And it's really frustrating to watch sometimes. When you get a great college basketball game where you get two teams that are running up and down the court and you've got great defense, like, it can be incredible to watch. Did you watch Michigan-LSU last night? Yeah. I thought that was the best game of the tournament so far. And it's pace. It was awesome. It's pace, right? That's the thing that we love about and it. Part of it was the crowd, too. They were Michigan had a lot of fans there for what it was worth, how many fans you can pile into that thing. But... You could hear it, and it made a difference. And the, the the activity, the action, the anticipation, and the pace that you talked about, they both played at a high level. But there are so we have incentivized drawing the charge so much now in college basketball that it's basically every time you get to the lane, hey, is that a block or a charge, and let's find out if they're going to be shooting free throws. Yeah, And that's hard to watch as a fan. It, it clogs the game. So uh, there are things that need to be done in the game to improve it before I can really get it back to being what it once was for me. I should have stuck with what I was saying from the beginning of this season, and it's proven itself true. Duke is not in the tournament. Kentucky not in the tournament. KU got blown out last night. So we're talking about the Blue Bloods 
they did not have summer camp, you know, with their kids on campus. They got things going late in the fall. And so when you're bringing in, whether it's a transfer portal that Gabe talked about or you're bringing in a one and done, it's still a transition period for that kid. I don't care how good you are. you got to get used to your coach, your teammates, college basketball at the Division One level. Now, granted, they're great players. Don't get me wrong. But there's still a transition period. And I I think what we're seeing in this tournament is that it took a while for these teams to get that under their belt. Not for all, but for the general speaking of how college basketball was played this year, those great teams that normally are ready to roll come March just have not been ready to roll. And that's why I think one of the reasons why we're seeing all these upsets. Yeah, and Gabe's right as well. I mean, you, he mentioned the FBI. There, there is some truth to that as well. Like, there, there is well, a there reason is that. why Arizona is <laughs> not remaining right now, why KU is not in the tournament. So uh, there's a million different things to point to. But overall, Dan, it's been a really fun tournament thus great. far. That being said, as much as we bring up the seeds, there are still three number one seeds remaining, and if I had to bet on one of those three seeds winning this thing or anybody else in the tournament, the other 13 teams remaining, I think I would still take my money on one of those one seeds. Probably right. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. The two biggest questions are the the pitching depth, which seemed amazing from the beginning. Now you have a little hiccups with a Mikolas and then also a, a, a KK. So they got to answer that there. And then also the outfielders, right? They've been showing uh, the young outfielders have been showing to, to play well now during the spring, but that's got to transfer over into the actual season. And they've got to be able to put the ball in play more, strike out less, um, and use and use the power that they have. Let that let that play, right? They got to make better, consistent contact. That's former Cardinal Xavier Scruggs. He, by the way, he's great on the air. Love listening to him. Great guy. Loved being around him when he was a player here in St. Louis. Welcome back to the show. Our thanks to Gabe DeArmond. That's BK. I'm Danny Mac. Danny Mac show on a Tuesday. Hard to believe. Nine days away from opening day, including today, six spring training games are left. So you got five after today. Uh, Sunday, they'll probably pack things up, get to Cincinnati early, have some workouts, and then away we go for what we hope is a 162. He brings up really uh, logical questions, whether you're an insider or watching it from afar. Number one, going into this camp, you thought the Cardinals had great pitching depth, and I still believe that they do. When you lose Michaelis and KK, Michaelis, I talked to John Mosaloc, uh this morning, president of baseball operations. Don't expect him probably through April at least. KK, they're hopeful after throwing uh, on the side yesterday that his back is okay. So when I look at this, uh, BK, and I'm going to start with just the pitching depth. Yeah. Okay, let's start with the, the rotation. In no particular order, even though we know that opening day starter will be Jack Flaherty. Wayno, by the way, will get the home start. We do know that officially. And I'm going to include KK. I'm going to say that he's in there and ready to go and will be healthy enough. Then it's Martinez and then a combination of Ponce, De Leon, and John Gant. Mm-hmm. Your bullpen left side is Webb. Miller, Cabrera. From the right side, it is Hicks, Reyes, Gallegos, Helsley. And then depending on whether you keep 13 or 14 pitchers, you've got Cody Whitley and Jake Woodford. I would tend to lean towards Whitley as a pure bullpen guy, throws strikes, efficient, had a good camp. And even though Woodford has had a really good camp, I got to be protected because of pitching depth. Maybe goes to the alternate site, AAA, and stretches out as a starter. Again, we were talking about this in our first segment. It's a numbers game. But that's where I'm at at this point. And then it goes into your bench, whether you keep 
you know, four or five guys. So there, there's still some unfinished business here in the final week. Yeah, Dan, you've mentioned this a lot, but early in the season, that first month, I think they have four off days uh, in the first month of the season. So you can kind of move some things around pitching-wise. I think they can make it through with 13 guys. And if if you got into a sticky spot where you needed to call somebody up, you can still do that. That is still a possibility. So I would go with 13 pitchers and 13 position players to start the season later on. Maybe by the time you get to May, you go to 14 and 12. I'd, I'd get that completely. But I think to start the year, especially with the composition of this roster, with Matt Carpenter still being a part of the team, I'd be stunned if he's not. I think 13 and 13 is a way that I would do things. So that probably means if KK's up, you're probably going to end up with Whitley and Woodford both being down. But if KK's not able to go for opening day, I'm with you. I think that means Whitley up, Woodford still down as a starter. So he also, Xavier Scruggs, mentioned the outfielders. And Harrison Bader, we touched upon this in our first segment. It hasn't been a great offensive camp for Harrison. He's got three hits total. He is 1-for-18 against right-handed pitching this spring with six strikeouts, and he talked about how he's feeling at the plate. Uh, yeah, I feel good. I feel, I feel pretty fast, honestly. I'm <laughs> getting out front a little bit. Um, you know, my barrel's kind of getting out front, and you know, a lot of that could just be um, you know, just intention in the plate or just really feeling good. But, again, a, a lot of it really is just, just contact point and swing decision. And, you know, I, I feel good. I'm hitting the ball just, you know, kind of right at guys and a little weaker contact than I want. So just, you know, continuing to do what I can these, these last few days um, just to continue just to back the ball up, trust my hands, and just keep everything really simple. Well, the key for me is if if a lefty's on the mound, I got no problem with Harrison Bader being in that lineup. I have no problem even putting him in the top of the order potentially in that lineup if Tommy Edmond is struggling. What I wanted to see, and it's unfortunate for him, is that he's got to improve against right-handed pitching. So if you're going to be an everyday player, you've got to be able to hit right-handed pitching. And he has not had that adjustment in the course of his major league career. It's not happening here in spring training. And take what you will from spring training. We always say that. But I want to see improvement against right-handed pitching. And if not, then you're going to see maybe Dylan Carlson, like today, playing some center field along the way. Yeah, so there, there's guys like I don't even know what Paul Goldschmidt's numbers are in spring training. I have no idea. I don't know what Nolan Arenado's number. I don't care. Because those guys have proven to me what they are as players, and I'm unless they get to like June and they're not hitting, I, I'm not even in the least bit worried about either of those two guys. And even at that point, it's not going to be like a blinking red light for the for them. A guy like Harrison Bader, I'm not worried about what he does against lefties because he's proven to me that he can do it. I, I am paying attention to the right-handed pitching though, and the fact that he's one for 18 with six strikeouts against those pitchers so far is a concern and it is it's confirmation and that's the thing it's confirmation of what we've seen previously from him in the big leagues so if you go up against a right-handed pitcher and Dan I think that's the expectation on opening day I will have no issue and I'm the Harrison Bader guy I'm the the Bader honk around here if he ends up sitting on the bench on opening day I would understand it I, I wouldn't blame them for making that decision because he hasn't forced their hand and that's what he needed to do in spring training he had an opportunity it was there for the taking to be the everyday center fielder and he hasn't taken advantage of it so far so Tanner asked us to answer this question over a month into camp what has been your biggest takeaways so I, I would say this just Thinking off the top of my head, number one would be the the camp of John Nagowski. He has made this a tough decision for them. 
maybe it's not inside those walls. You know, maybe they say, hey, we already knew this going in. If he was hitting a thousand, you know, we might because of the numbers game have to do this. So um, the other thing was, and Xavier talked about this, the outfielders. Okay, who has stood out? Tyler O'Neill. I like what I'm seeing out of Tyler O'Neill using the entire field. Now, he had a tough day the other day, but that, you know, it's one game. It, It happens. Generally speaking, he's had a very good camp. Um, the other thing I would say is Matt Carpenter, it's been disappointing. You know, one for 29. I wanted to see something more out of that. Again, long track record, but recent history has not been good. One for 29. And the other thing, on a, a bigger note of Major League Baseball, COVID testing. We're not seeing a lot of positives. I think it was like one out of whatever it was, 12,000. Yeah, it, that was it. So as we break camp, you know, are guys vaccinated? I don't know. I it, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm assuming maybe some are, some aren't. I have no idea. But we're seeing the numbers being really, really low. And that is a good thing, obviously, because we want to see a full 162. We don't want to see shutdowns. You know, I did the game yesterday, and we were talking about how Don Mattingly and Mike Schilt got through those seasons last year. And in retrospect, when you look at it, and BK, I know you follow other sports, and you think about how football tried to get through this and college basketball is doing this. We already had a cancellation in the NCAA tournament. It is not an easy thing to do, and they did it. So only having the one positive test that we've heard of has been awesome news for Major League Baseball. Dan, I heard you mention this, I think it was last week on Friday on the Fast Lane, and you were so right. There's a chance that baseball can be the thing that is really kind of the welcome back tour in a lot really of ways, believe that. right? Yeah, like you, you get it. You're getting into the summer, and I think you're going to start seeing some concert, concerts, especially outdoors. You're going to start seeing more of that. You're going to see baseball stadiums that are at or near capacity at some point this summer. And I think that the first time for me, Dan, where things have started to feel a little more normal sports-wise was with the NCAA tournament. I totally agree. I started watching because this was the time last year. I will never forget the day, the moment when I started seeing all of these uh, college basketball, the, the conference tournaments getting canceled. And I was like, man, I, I don't know what this means. Like at the time, we, just, we didn't sure. know where this was going. I thought maybe six weeks we'd be back to normal or something resembling it, right? Well, a year later, we're still not 100% there yet, but we're getting closer And with baseball, as you said, having so few positive tests thus far, it feels like this is going to resemble more of a normal baseball season. You're playing 162, not 60. You're not hearing about the bickering every day yet between the Major League Baseball Players Association (laughs) and the league itself. And that's all really, really positive. I just want to watch Nolan Arenado out there every day at third base. I want to be able to go to the ballpark and have my $12.50 beer that I enjoy the hell out of on a 150-degree day out in the hot, humid sun here in St. Louis. Yep. I I miss it. And so for us to be able to have that back, that's a huge part of what a summer's supposed to be here in St. Louis. I'm with you on the NCAA tournament. It has felt a little bit like normalcy. Now, I hate when I'm watching and I see the the seats are closed yeah. down. Now, they've done a really good job on television, I think, of showing fans. And that has given me a sense of, okay, we're getting there. We're getting closer. Doing the games on Fox Sports Midwest and seeing fans at the ballpark. Is it going to be odd when you see Bush Stadium and there's only 14,000, 15,000 people? Yeah. But is it better than seeing your your best friend's cardboard cutout? Damn right it is. And see, You're going to see Fred Bird doing you, laundry out you, in the yeah, uh, outfield this year. <laughs> he's not going to get a painting smoked by, uh, well, maybe he will, by Harrison Bader. You never know. But watching the Michigan-LSU game last night, that felt like the NCAA tournament to me. The crowd was into it. I loved it. So I do. I think it'll be as we get a month in, two months in, places are starting to open up. It's warm around the country. We're outside. That's when it's going to feel 
great again. And it's the reopening of sports, if you will. Dan, you asked what is the biggest takeaway for spring training. For me so far, it's it's a little bit of a disappointing one, but this is one of them. Uh, one of my biggest takeaways is the guys that are performing really well, it probably didn't matter whether they performed really well or really poorly. We'll see. Nagowski we'll see. and Rondone. I, I hope that I'm wrong there. I hope that I'm wrong there. And the guys that are performing particularly poorly, i.e. Matt Carpenter, it, it might not matter. Um, and that is... That is the good and the bad of spring training. It's going to matter eventually down the road that Nagowski had this kind of a performance and he opened some eyes within the organization. It will. And maybe that's June 1st, June 30th. We'll see. But I think he's going to be on the big league roster eventually. But for opening day, I'm not sure that in the end it's going to make a huge difference. for me. I'm looking forward to you and Alex. What do you guys have coming up the next three hours? So looking forward to the show today. We've got Jeremy Rutherford coming up at 1130. We'll talk more college basketball coming up with Chris Spatola at one. 30 as well. Plenty of Cardinals to get to throughout the day. You've been listening to the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.